This morning, I invite you to open your Bible if you have your copy of God's Word. And during this Advent season, we've been looking in the book of Revelation, thinking about the first coming of Christ, but also how that points us to the hope that we have in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so today, the series has been entitled Advent Revealed, and looking in the book of Revelation of uh, the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Today, we are in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, and I encourage you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. And we'll begin today with verse number one. After this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous, because he's judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality. He's avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. And a second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke ascends forever and ever. And then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down And worship God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all his servants and the ones who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, omnipotent, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he also said to me, these words of God are true. And then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Amen. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word today. And Father, as we focus on the great truths that are found here, Father, may our hearts be encouraged in our faith and in our hope that we have through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our conquering King. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. This morning, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture together. And here's a great truth I want you to get today. Jesus Christ is coming again. How many of y'all believe that? He is coming again. He will come and he will judge the living and the dead. He is coming with power and authority. And when Jesus Christ comes again, it won't be born in a stable this time. 
When Jesus comes again, it won't be in an outbuilding with the animals. When Jesus comes again, he won't be born to a present couple in Palestine. When Jesus comes again, it's not going to be coming as a baby this time. When Jesus comes again, it is not, he will not be running away from Herod the king. When Jesus comes again, it will not be to be betrayed. It will not be to be arrested. When Jesus comes again, no one will pronounce sentence or judgment on him. When Jesus comes again, again, the second time, no one will spit in his face. No one will pluck his beard. And no one will crown him with a crown of thorns. When Jesus comes again, there will be nobody that will pass a sentence on him. And when Jesus comes again, it's not to die on a cross. He's already done that. When Jesus comes again, He's not coming for a sacrifice for sins. He's coming as ruling king, and he will rule over all the earth. Amen. My King Jesus is coming again, and that is the greatest hope in all the world. He is coming, and when he comes, he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. If you look with me into this same chapter, Chapter 19, verse 11, I saw a heaven opened and there was a white horse and its rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head and he had a name written that no one knows except himself and he wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing white linen, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth that he might strike the nations with it. And he will rule them with an iron rod, and he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God Almighty. And his name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's a picture of my Jesus coming again. The book of Revelation is to encourage you, encourage your hearts, encourage you that this world is not our final home. Aren't you glad this isn't as good as it gets right now? And you know what? This world and this system will be replaced. And we have a citizenship in heaven. And we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And that hope realized. Chapter number 19 is a beautiful picture of that. In chapter number 19, at the end, is described as a coming victory of Jesus Christ, and he's coming to rule and reign. Now, in this passage we read, there's a fourfold hallelujah that is found here. As a matter of fact, in Handel's great uh, composition of the Messiah, it is that great hallelujah chorus comes as he reflects on this very passage of Scripture. Now notice in chapter number 19, these fourfold hallelujahs that are there. The word hallelujah or alleluia is, is Hebrew, means praise the Lord. And so we are to direct our praise and our worship toward the Lord. And again and again and again and again, it is a fourfold hallelujah that is here. It reminds me of Fanny Crosby's hymn that she wrote in the 1800s, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. He yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. And then she writes these words, praise the Lord, Praise the Lord, 
Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus' Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. You notice this is this chorus, this hallelujah. Praise the Lord for the great things that he has done. John sees a vision of a vast multitude breaking out in praise to the Lord, singing hallelujah. Now, what are they, why are they singing hallelujah? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it. First of all, verse number one and two, it says this, I heard something like a loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belongs to our God. What is he saying? He's saying God is going to win the victory through Jesus Christ. That the beast and the dragon, the evil world system, the political and economic and religious and cultural system that is evil and against God and his word, that system is called Babylon. And that system will be overthrown and destroyed. In chapter number 18, verse number 1, I saw another angel come with great authority, from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. And he called out in a mighty voice, It is fallen! Babylon the great has fallen! She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt of every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. He's saying, Babylon the great is destroyed. In verse number 20 through 24, it says, Rejoice over her, heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced his judgment and she has passed on, passed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, In this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of a groom and a bride will never be heard in you again. All of this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all those slaughtered on the earth. But hallelujah, hallelujah, Babylon the Great is thrown down. Who is Babylon? Who is this Babylon the Great? I'm glad you asked. It is, you remember in the Old Testament, there was a village in Mesopotamia, an ancient history ago, and in that ancient history in Mesopotamia, in this village, there was a rebellion against God and the knowledge of God and the authority of God. And the people in that story built a tall tower trying to build it up to heaven. Do you all remember that story in the Bible? And remember how God knocks that tower down. And because of their rebellion and their determination to try to live independently of God. He confuses their language and brings judgment. We're still feeling the effects of that today. But later, 
many hundreds of years later, in that same region, what is now modern Iraq, there was a great city built that became a huge cultural center in all of the world. It was a great military might that defeated the Assyrians. And eventually, in 587, besieged Jerusalem and took even Judea and Jerusalem into captivity. It carried the great leadership of all of Israel away into Babylonian captivity. There was no place quite like Babylon. It was the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world. It was the cultural center. It was the world power. It had cultural supremacy. It had cultural elite, the great institutions, the library there was unbelievable. And it became a great military might until it wasn't. And it was defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire and later the Greek Empire. But the writers of the Bible began to talk about places that were centers of economic and cultural power as Babylon, as Babylon, as a matter of fact, in the New Testament day, Rome was called Babylon. That was nowhere near Mesopotamia, but Rome was a cultural center, military might, and great influence and power in the world. So in the book of Revelation, it is, when it talks about Babylon, the great city, it's talking about, symbolically, it's talking about the cultural center, political power, a religious system, a religious syncretism. It is the cooperation with its evil and corruption. Do we see that in this world today? Where there's evil corruption in, within economic systems and political powers and commerce and art and strength and education and media and philosophy. And it's all against the knowledge of God. Amen. But it will be fallen. And while the dragon and the beast use this cultural center, they turn on it. And that's why there's great celebration in chapter 19, because Babylon, this great harlot, this great deceiver, this great adulteress that leads our children astray is cast down and defeated forever and ever. Wow. So he says, salvation has come. It is great. It is, is hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to God. Second hallelujah. Hallelujah because justice is going to be just. Notice in verse number two. His judgments are true and righteous. Anybody ever, ever, anybody ever notice we live in a world where the justice system is deeply flawed? If you got enough money, you can get off usually. It's justice is not always rightly observed or carried out. I read this week about Glenn Simmons. Maybe you read about it. He was released from prison. Glenn Simmons is 71 years old, and he spent the last 50 years in prison in Oklahoma for a crime he did not commit. This week, he was exonerated 
from all of the charges that were against him and an apology to him for 50 years of his life held in prison, a life sentence, and a wrong conviction. Can I say something? When Christ comes again, there will be no wrong convictions because he will judge in truth. Never again will injustice not be paid for. In chapter number 18, it says in verse number 5, For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. God will deal with it. Verse 6, Pay back the way she also paid, and double it according to her works. And the cup in which she mixed, mix a double portion for her. She glorified herself, indulged in sensual and excessive ways, and he will give her such torment and grief because she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, not a widow, and I will never see grief. You hear the pride, the arrogance in this culture? But there is a payday someday. In the book of Revelation, chapter number 6, in the opening of the seals that are found there, in the fifth seal, when it is opened, it's the souls of the martyred saints. And the souls of the martyred saints say this. Now listen, these are saints who gave their lives for their faith. They, say, they ask this question, Lord, how long until you judge the earth and avenge our blood? And he gives them a white robe. And he says, wait just a little bit longer. Well, in chapter number 19, payday has arrived. And Christ has come. Just as surely as God judged Ahab and Jezebel for the murder and theft of Naboth and his vineyard, God will bring justice and settle accounts. God is on the throne. Hallelujah. Thirdly, hallelujah because of eternal victory. Notice it says in verse number three and four, hallelujah, her smoke ascends. How long? Forever and what? Ever. Meaning the judgment of God on Babylon will go on forever and ever. What it's saying is, Never again will Babylonian the great exist on the face of the earth. Never more will evil rule. Never more will God be usurped. Never again will sin and death reign on this world. How long? Eon after eon after eon. Never again will sin raise its ugly head against God. Never, as long as time shall be, will rebellion be led against God and, and, and disobedience and sin. Sin brought death. Sin, sin brought more and more disobedience and a lack of knowledge of truth. But never again will we feel this temptation towards sin. Never again will we have the weight of guilt and shame and fear of death. Never ever again. Hallelujah, the death of death. Hallelujah, with 
fall of the Babylon of the Great and the destruction and the imprisonment of the dragon and then the final throwing of the dragon into the lake of fire. Listen, all of creation groans and longs for this day and all of the saints of heaven sing, Hallelujah, God is going to reign and put an end to evil. Won't that be great? Won't it be great that we'll never be slaves to cruel dictators anymore? No longer will we be slaves to our own flesh and sin. No more death. No more disease. Anybody say praise the Lord. No more divorce. No more disabilities. No more disaster. No more death. No more hospitals. Can somebody say praise the Lord? No more clinics. No more nursing homes. No more courthouses. No more politics. Those things are passed away. And its smoke goes up forever, meaning it will never come back, ever. But peace will reign in the earth. That will be glorious. Can somebody say hallelujah? hallelujah. Amen. And then it brings us to this great final hallelujah. Stay with me. It says in chapter 19, And I heard a voice like a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder. Hallelujah. Because the Lord omnipotent reigneth. You can almost hear Handel's great song. Hmm. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This celebration is also realized. It says in, in the next text, verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. These are days of celebrating, giving glory to God. Because it's now what was promised is realized. <clears throat> In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper as a church. And we're going to reflect on what Jesus did for us at the cross. But in Mark's gospel, something very interesting happens. When Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and he breaks the bread, he said, this bread is my body which is broken for you. Isn't that beautiful? And then he takes the cup also, and he says, this cup is a new covenant, what? In my what? In my blood. And he says, I want you to drink from it, all of you. He's showing, he's pointing to what he's getting ready to do at the cross, a new covenant between God and his people, an atonement being made for all of our sin. And then he says these words, listen, I tell you the truth, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. And in this passage of scripture, rejoice because the marriage festival of the Lamb is taking place and King Jesus will drink from the fruit of the vine for the first time since the Lord's Supper. And he will drink it 
with us in his kingdom. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Absolutely. Woo. Glory. Hallelujah. Finally, I want to talk about the blessing of a wedding day. How many of y'all remember when you got married? Some of you don't have to remember that long. Some of us have to remember a long time. Do you remember what that wedding day was like? Remember that beautiful bride on that day? Somebody, thinks that, somebody said one time to me when I was a young man, the center of a wedding is the bride. Oh, they were wrong. The center of a wedding is the bride's mother. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. In the New Testament, weddings were different than in our Western culture. The way it worked was there was a proposal, there was an, an engagement, and it was like an engagement contract between the family of the young woman and the young man. And the young man wants to marry this young woman, and they're espoused to be married. They're pledged to one another, and it's a pledge between the young man and the young woman. And then the young man goes back and makes preparation for taking a wife. He goes back to his father's house. And there on his father's land and property that's a part of a Jewish man's inheritance, he makes preparation for his own family and his own bride. After everything is complete and he's ready to receive this bride into his home, then he lets them know that he's coming. And the wedding guests have all been invited and the bridegroom comes to receive the bride. And the bride comes with them and in tow all of her family, all of the guests that were invited. And they have a great celebration of a meal that may last a festivity, a festival, an eating together and fellowshipping together with all in a great banquet that may last multiple days and then when the wedding festival is complete and the celebration of this new family then will be the consummation and the commitment and he takes her into his shelter that he has made and they become husband and wife forever and ever it gives us an understanding of the 14th chapter of John where Jesus said, Don't be troubled. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. And he says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. You see, God had said to Israel in Ezekiel chapter 16. Now, I'm not going to read all of the text, but I'm just going to tell the story. God, the prophet saw the nation of Israel. He described her like your mother was an Amorite and your father was a Hittite. I saw you laying along the side of the road and you had been abandoned. Your cord hadn't been cut. 
You were, you were on life support, so to speak. Nobody had washed you with water. Nobody had rubbed you with salt. Nobody had wrapped you in swaddling clothes. No one had cared for you, shown compassion for you. You were like a bo- an aborted fetus. You were abandoned on the side of discarded and disregarded. And I saw you thrashing in your blood. And I said to you, live Live, child. And I took you. And I made you to live. And I gave you what you needed. And I swaddled you and took care of you. And I washed you. And I clothed you. And you grew up before me. And you became a young woman. Mature enough to marry. And I said, I'll marry you. And I betrothed myself to you. And I bejeweled you, I adorned you, I gave you the finest linen. And I said, I pledge myself to marry you. But you forgot me. Your heart was an adulterous, idolatrous heart. And you pursued other gods rather than me. You see, the problem with Israel was in their heart. But God said In the last days, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And this new covenant will be that I'm going to change your wayward heart. And I'm going to take, get rid of your heart of stone. And I'm going to make it a heart of flesh. And I'm going to take my law and I'm going to write it on your heart. And your desire will be to know me and to love me and be my bride. And at the marriage supper of the Lamb, The church of Jesus Christ is married to the bridegroom, King Jesus, forever and ever and ever. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Amen. He calls us. He cleanses us. He changes us. He clothes us. And he gives us his righteousness. And that righteousness is imputed and given as a gift to us. And it's lived out in the good works that we show as that changed life with Christ. And he brings us to his new home and he shelters us under his wings. And we are his children. We are his bride forever and ever. We're one with him and we will know the Lord and he will know us and it will be (laughs) glorious. That's your future, my friends. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. When John saw this and heard this, John was overwhelmed. He goes, oh my gosh, this is the most awesome thing I've ever seen in my life. And in verse number 10, he says, he turned to this angel, this messenger from heaven, and he didn't know what to do. He, he knew better, but he couldn't just help himself. He just fell at his feet and began to worship. And you know what that angel said? Oh, stop that. Don't you direct your worship to me. Direct it to God. He's the one that does the saving. My friend, there's only one worthy of worship here today. Amen. And that's my king, Jesus Christ. Yes, he is the only one. Worthy of all of my praise. To sing my hallelujah. Because he is my God. And he 
is my Savior. Amen. Born for you this day. In the city of David is a Savior, Messiah, the Lord. Amen. Amen. This is the greatest news in all the world. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, if there's one person here today that's never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray that today they might trust him, turn to him, surrender to him as Lord and Savior. Oh, Father, may we direct our worship to you today in adoration and praise. And Father, if there's somebody here that's not certain they're a Christian, I pray that they would pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I've gone the wrong way. I've sinned in my life. I've disobeyed you. And I've been following the voice of Babylon, not the voice of the Spirit. And God, I want to repent of my sin and come home to you. God, save me. I need you. In Jesus' name. Father, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.